Well, we'll pick up this morning. We ended last week uh, with uh, verse 65 of um, Mark chapter 14. And um, this period ended the uh, questioning of our Lord um, from the uh, from the Jewish mock council, if you will. You remember he... He went before uh, Annas, the former high priest, but still had a lot of clout because of who he was. And his son-in-law Caiaphas was now the high priest, and the 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 other uh, elders and the and the Sanhedrin council that was, I think is about seventy people. You know that trial that they put together, and and uh, if you remember right, it kind of just as a sidebar in verse fifty-four, there was this interruption of. Peter being there, and then it gets back to the trial. Well, we ended without looking at Peter's uh, denials in verse 66, so that's that's where we'll start this morning. And so let's read verses 66 through 72. It says, and, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So we see at first here that Peter was warming himself by the fire, trying to blend in with the officers of the temple, you know, not trying to cause attention to be drawn to himself, just kind of doing what everybody else does, right? And um, one of the servant girls of the high priest um, opened the, the gate and sees Peter there by the fire. And th- the whole week, <clears throat> you know, Peter would have been in and out of the temple as things were going on. You know, the, a lot of people were at the garden and would have seen him there, but you know, we're not real sure where she saw him or what caused her to look at him and and gain uh, an interest of, you know, hey, this guy might be one of our, an outsider. You know, we're not real sure what caused suspicion in her to say that, but she recognized him and questioned him. You know, you you also were, one, were with Jesus the Nazarene. And, you know, that, I think, probably caught Peter off guard, you know, and he was surprised and he panicked and, you know, blurts out, I, I neither know nor understand what you mean. But um, the astounding thing to me with this is if you think about just a couple hours before, you know, he's so boldly standing for Christ that he cuts off Malchus's ear and then now... He's he's denying that he even knows who he is or that he was with him, and you know maybe embarrassed by the question by his response. You know how we sometimes we blurt things out and then we kind of regret it and we're not wanting to backpedal and go back and make it right. I, I don't know if that I don't know his intentions there, but perhaps you know he was astounded by what he had done and 
so he kind of goes a little further into the courtyard area there and and um, probably was deeply concerned with what he did. And verse 69 tells us that she again begins to question him. This time, though, she's got some bystanders that she's involved. So it's it's getting bigger. You know, she got one guy, one girl, and now multiple people. And now you got this whole chorus of accusations, and I'm sure everybody's staring him down. And you know how that feels, right? So rather than acknowledging the truth, though, Peter becomes even more intense with his denials as things build, adamantly denying any association with Jesus at all. And Matthew's account even says that he denied it with an oath, right? So why, I mean, it seems to me that there's a pattern going on there, right? Do you ever find yourself or perhaps uh, your children, you know, you tell one lie, right? And you're not wanting to fess up, so you tell another lie and another lie and another lie. It just kind of goes further and further. Why do you think that happens that way <clears throat> in your life? Or maybe you know why your kids do it. Maybe you don't get caught in those things. But have you ever you ever been there? Embarrassment. Embarrassment? Pride. Pride? You know, I, I think so. You know, I was just, for some reason, one pops into my mind that I wasn't a Christian when this happened. But I remember clearly that I used to be in the pest control business and I was doing a treatment on this home, carrying that little metal can. And I turned around in this people's bedroom and my sprayer hit, this was a a house, remember when they did the... uh, the uh, bifold closet doors, and they were mirrors. And my sprayer hit the mirror, and it broke a piece of it off. Well, of course, I tight-lipped it. I left. I didn't, you know, and the lady, you know, I was doing the rest of the property, and she came, you know, she came and found me before it was done, before I was done, and she's like, you broke the mirror in the bedroom. And, I mean, I denied it. No, ma'am, I didn't, I wasn't anywhere near that mirror. I wouldn't have sprayed over near there. I wouldn't have been and denied it, and denied it, and the accusations kept coming. You know, of course, then she called the office because I was denying, and then I lied to the boss, too, you know. Why do we do that? I mean, it would have been much easier to say, you know, um, yeah, I did, and, um, you know, I'll get with my boss when I get back, you know, we'll figure out, and I'll call you, and and we'll make this right. Why do you think... Um, all right. and th- but there really wouldn't have been any consequences with that one. The company would have paid for it. Yeah, maybe get fired. Yeah, I mean, Jeff is a hardcore boss, perhaps. Uh, fear, you know, and I just I didn't want. I mean, I can't be wrong. That's more what it was for me, right? That pride welling up. No, are you kidding? You know, but think of how much more humble you could be if you admitted it. And I have one of those, too. Um, this is, I guess, is a testimony. I'm confessing way too much here. But <laughs> this is a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells God's children. Same, well, different company, same type of thing, treating a house for fleas. And for fleas, you, back in the day, you used to spray every floor in the home. And so you go to the furthest portion of the home and you work your way out the garage door, right? And, of course, that's usually the kitchen. 
So this pantry was there, and I mean, it was small. It was the, as big as this little area. You could have stood here and gone and be done with it. And the lady was waiting for me in the garage, and I opened the pantry. I did open it, and I looked in there, and I, and I didn't spray anything, though. I just thought, you know, and I closed the door. And I got in the garage, and she asked me, did you get the pantry? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it all. You're good to go. And I, I lied, right? And I got in my truck, and we tell the homeowner, or told the homeowners back then, you had to be out of the house for at least two hours. So she went off doing something. I left. This was kind of in Sandy Springs. My next job was in Stone Mountain. I drove out there, and I'm telling you all, I couldn't live with myself. I had, I had lied, and, and it was eating at me all day. So on the way back, I knew certainly she'll be home now, and I went back by her house. And I was going to tell her, you know, ma'am, I lied to you. I did not treat that. And, um, but she wasn't home. But I did go back by there. I didn't go by it the next day. I, the Lord kind of said, all right, you, you went far enough there. But you get the point there, though. We, we tell these things. And, and Peter's a, he's a real human, you know, and caught off guard, I'm sure, by the question. Blurts out an, an impulsive, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. So but he he, like us, like myself, so many times just continues to dig himself into a, a further hole. And yeah, he could have left. Right. But he decides to stay there. And, you know, I, I think, he, you know, he loved the Lord. There was no doubt about that. He tried to protect him, as we said, in the garden. And, you know, and you remember all the sayings that he had towards Jesus, you know, well, you know, I'll be with you no matter what. So he. He 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 was there probably to see what was going on with 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 the Lord and uh, Luke tells us that about an hour later he was confronted a third time and a group of bystanders again certainly you are one of them for you're a Galilean and Matthew tells us in Matthew twenty six seventy three that his accent gave him away as a Galilean John tells us in his account. Um, that he was recognized by one of the bystanders from the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, John 18.26 says, One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did you? Did I not see you in the garden with him? I mean, this is the guy's relative, you know, so you would have been, you know, on the edge a little bit. Uh, you know, he attacked my relative. But once again, hemmed in on all sides, he gives his final denial, and uh, this one was the most passionate of denial of all of them. Verse 71 tells us he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And the verb curse there, yeah, is, is, he's pronouncing divine judgment on his own head, right? If I'm lying, you know, yeah, strike me dead type of thing. And, and to swear means a a pledge of truthfulness, you know, so he's really going out on a limb here. John MacArthur said about this, what began as a knee-jerk reaction to the inquiry of a servant girl had escalated into into a premeditated tirade of dogmatic deceit, disloyalty, punctuated with cursing and swearing that echoed throughout the courtyard. Ooh, right? That's hard, isn't it? So... Just as Jesus had predicted in chapter 14, as soon as this third episode ended, a rooster crows. 
And we see that in verse 72. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows, crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You know, and he denied him there, but have, you know, I was talking about lying, and that's what Peter was doing a minute ago, but have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just flat out denied Jesus? Or maybe not flat out denied, um, hopefully not, but um, what about just knew you probably should talk about him in this particular situation, but you don't do it? One of those? You know, what would be one? Somebody want to fess up? I fessed up. Let me come with the mic and get you all to fess up. What do you think? Have you ever had one of those? And what is it that caused that to happen? Why did you feel guilty for not? You know, are you judged by God as less competent because you didn't? What do you think? Less obedient. Pardon? Less obedient. Less obedient? Uh, Yeah. All right, so let me rephrase that. Does God use us more or less based on our obedience? Kind of a trick question. Jerry Bridges has got a book on that, actually. It's really good. Um, Just lost the name. Anyway, he tells a situation there of where he had a fantastic quiet time Oh, and just, you know, was really communing with the Lord through his word and in prayer. And he gets up to go to work. And before he leaves the house, he gets into a spat with his wife. And um, he goes and then later in the day, he has an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And he has the thought, I am not worthy to share the gospel because of the way I acted back here. And... um he came to the realization of, you know, that we're not judged by that, you know, that we're, the grace of God is so profound that God doesn't use us based on our lack of or due diligence of obedience. Does that make sense? Now, you got to be really careful there, right? Because there's a whole group of movement in the church today called free grace, that, you know, just, well, I can go over here and do whatever I want. You know, God's grace reigns in my life. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Jerry Bridges is talking about. Does anybody have any comments on that? You see what Peter denied three times, but then you see in Acts what he did for the church. Sure. So God used, you know, so. Yeah. Good. Yes, sir. You know, we sin every day, all day long, basically, so we're just never going to witness to anybody. Sure. Yeah, the opposite of that turns into what Stuart Scott calls morbid introspection. You know, where you just go crawl in a corner somewhere. Oh my gosh, I'm so wicked. Yeah, yeah, you are. But, you know, God still uses us, right? You know, somebody else tell you how wicked you are rather than yourself. But, um, so, yeah, that's, but that's, you know, lest we be too harsh on Peter, we're all there, right? So, by this time, this is all taking place now. Um, Jesus's trial at Caiaphas' house is it's, we're at a conclusion, right? He'd been falsely accused, con- convicted of blasphemy, as we saw last week. He'd been mocked, he'd been beaten by the Sanhedrin and the the guards, uh, the p- temple guards that they uh, handed him over to. <clears throat> so now, you know, he's very likely being led back across the the courtyard, and 
Peter's broken down weeping and we're changing scenes now, if you will. And, and think for a minute here with where we've been in the last month in our teaching and really more in the last maybe six hours or so of Jesus's life. Think of all the different people that were involved as this, this situation unfolds here. The situation of his murder, right? You had the, the greedy traitor Judas, who was one of the twelve. You have the, the hypocrites, the high priest Annas and Caiaphas, the, the petty tyrant who we'll see today in Herod, and the pagan uh, politician Pontius Pilate. You know, these are the scoundrels that are involved. And interestingly, <clears throat> um, you know, there, there's four of them. And I just think, you know, that as, as Jesus endured all of this, knowing that he's accomplishing the Father's will, watching it unfold from, a, uh, from the divine perspective is, is the only thing that I could think of that kept him engaged, right? You know, these guys have this lineup of really bad people. And I, I just, the patience, I guess, I can't get over the patience of Jesus through this whole thing as, as it starts to unfold. You know, he could have designed a, a different way to make it all happen. He could just be executed. But, you know, God's plan had to unfold this way. So Pilate asks Jesus in John chapter 10, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You know, whoa, you know, he just said that to the, to the governor, right? And his words indicate, as we've seen over and over again, in spite of the, the wickedness and the evil schemes, the trickery and the hypocrisy of all these officials, this is really all 100% in the plan and in the hands of God, Right? And as we saw last week after taking Jesus captive, shortly after midnight, the Jewish religious heads brought him to the house of the high priest where he was first again um, questioned by Annas and then Caiaphas, Caiaphas and then the Sanhedrin. And they, they failed to pr- produce a consistent testimony. They couldn't get one. And these guys, I guess, are the... You wouldn't want them for your attorneys because they couldn't make what they were really wanting to happen, but God's plan had to unfold, so here we go, right? Now, after those accusations that we looked at last week, this mock trial, they, they turn him over to be mistreated by the police, and it's about 5 a.m. where we convene today in chapter 15. And uh, 15.1 says... It, as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. Now, the Jewish law required that these trials take place, right? That they take place in the daytime. So they wanted to maintain their, their cover of legality, if you will. So they were playing by the rules here. And so they, they come again with another little consultation, another little mock trial to condemn him, even though they'd already done it the night before or, you know, not the night before, but the hours of darkness prior to that. 
but they knew that the Jewish law required that a full day pass between sentencing and execution. And the reason for that was the Jewish law wanted to allow any new evidence to come in. They, they, you know, we're going to give 24 hours so new evidence can come in. But these guys, they violate that. So they, they kind of go around the corner with it, if you will, and say, well, if we wait till daybreak, we can kind of assume that that's the next day, 24 hours. But it wasn't. It was just, it was really the same day. But they're, they're going to bypass that because they know that they've got to get this done before the Passover. So just like the appearance of Jesus before the Jewish authorities within, was in three stages, now he's coming before the Roman authorities, and that's in three stages as well. The first one of those was he was questioned by the governor, uh, Pontius Pilate. Then he was brought uh, to Herod Antipas. Uh, he was the Roman uh, tetriarch there. And the one, by the way, that uh, probably didn't want to go before this guy, right? He was the one that chopped off John the Baptist's head. And uh, after uh, that, he would go uh, back to Pilate where he faced the final sentencing. So with that, let's pick up and look at this Roman court um, in chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 15. Keeping in mind, you know, that they're breaking the Jewish law here. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answers, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For you perceive that for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to, to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. <clears throat> so the Sanhedrin, you know, bringing him over here, they didn't want or even need Pilate as a judge, right? They'd already declared Jesus guilty. What they're looking for is an executioner. They want somebody that's going to carry out the sentence that they've already come up with. They only needed this Roman governor to approve and carry out the capital punishment that they were looking for. So from time to time, though, I did see historically that the Sanhedrin had executed people without um, getting official um, permission. But in their minds, Jesus was far too public of a figure for them to act on their own. So let's get the government involved and make them be the ones that do this. So these hypocrites hope to avoid appearing responsible, so they would throw it over. They want the people to retaliate against them. 
Uh, we've seen so many times in the last months or so how they feared the people, right? They had a deep fear and concern over how the people would react. But as we've said, we know this is all under the providential control of, of God, so their fear just played right into that. And to make this all look better for the case of the Jewish leaders, they needed, they absolutely needed to make Jesus look like a threat to the Roman government. So here they go with it. In Luke 23, Luke says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Now, those charges, right, if true, would have been a serious threat to the Roman government. But Jesus wasn't an insurrectionist, was he? He never advocated rebellion or even uh, any type of civil disobedience against Rome. In fact, as we saw a couple chapters back, he actually instructed his listeners to pay taxes, right? Give the Caesar what's his. He wasn't into ripping off the government or doing anything against them. Um, And he also, interestingly in John, he... He avoided those who tried to make him king by force. Remember, they in John six fifteen says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he wasn't into all the government stuff. Please pay your taxes. I'm not going to be your earthly king. But they were, you know, accusing him of those things anyway. Um, and by the way, one day he absolutely will establish his earthly kingship, right? But <clears throat> not right now. He had no intention of fighting against <clears throat> the Roman government. So Pilate now, the governor of Judea, he would have been in town because this is a big week with the Passover. You know, he had to wield his authority, you know, or at least appear to to keep the peace, you know, he would have seen Jesus in the temple that week. He knows everything that's going on. He would have witnessed the triumphal entry, and now you have him before him. And uh, interestingly, the historian Josephus says that uh, that Pilate was a very inept and heavy-handed administrator. <clears throat> and he was constantly um, insulting the Jews One time he even raided the sacred treasury of the temple, which the funds there were supposed to be only used for the things of the temple, only for the things of of God. And and he raided that. He stole that money and built an aqueduct through the city. But he was such a miserable guy and such a complete failure that he actually ended up committing suicide. Um, He he lusted over celebrity status. And, uh, you know... I don't like to talk about politics, but it seems like a whole lot hadn't changed, has it? When you look at some of the political leaders around the world, right? Or even in our own country, that um, people are more concerned with that than, than the truth and their reputation there. So Jesus is now standing before this guy and beaten. He's, he's a mess now. You know, dirty, sweaty. It's been a long night. Uh, He's been mocked, you know, bloody. So I think with a hint of doubtfulness in verse 2, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, look at you, right? That kind of thing. And Mark doesn't give us a 
real long conversation, uh, dialogue or summation of the dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. But John does. Flip over to John chapter 18. And let's read verses 33 through 39. We, John gives uh, a few more details. John 18:33. it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You said that I am a king for this purpose. I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is this truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So who do you want me to release? So Pilate may have been, or not probably may have been, Pilate was a pagan agnostic who questioned everything pertaining to Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus had committed a capital crime. You know, he couldn't get there. So he asked, you know, what evil has he done? And they now start to hurl all kinds of harsh accusations against him. <clears throat> we see that in, in Mark fifteen three, And Luke even tells of the account... He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. But Jesus refused to respond to their accusations. You know, that is tough, isn't it? I mean, you're beaten, you're tired, you're dirty and sweaty. You've been through this one trial that was completely false, full of hypocrites. You, you endured that, and now they're hurling more false accusations at you. And Pilate continues, you know, in his mind, um, he's not guilty. What are you guys doing? And they just continue to come pound him with these accusations. So Pilate asked him again, do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? I mean, I think he was probably thinking in his mind, for crying out loud, just answer them. But he didn't do it, right? Talk. I mean, think of the contrast here. The the unrestrained anger and the deceit of the Jews and the stark quietness and truthfulness of Christ as he just stands there. Isn't that a, a huge contrast? So they continue relentlessly throwing these lies at him. Jesus makes no answer. In verse 5, Pilate was amazed, just amazed that Christ could stand there. And <clears throat> some other um, definitions of that same Greek word that's translated amazed in the ESV. Uh, do any of the other translations have that listed differently? Has anybody got one? It means to marvel, to be in great wonder. It shocked Pilate that even though Jesus was falsely accused, he gave forth no 
testimony of self-defense. You know, I dare say anybody other than God would not do that. You know, I mean, you aren't going to falsely accuse me time and time and time again. That's what we have defense attorneys for, right? Somebody that can stand and argue our point. But Jesus didn't do that. Pilate had declared him innocent in Luke 23. It says, then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. You know, that should have made any further defense completely unnecessary, right? But interestingly, the the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 42, him being silent was actually fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. So verse 8 shows us that a crowd comes up and begins to ask Pilate, to do as they usually did for them. Now, this is really interesting to me. I think in Pilate's mind, he's thinking, okay, great. I'm going to oblige the crowd now. I'm going to give them, I'm going to be able to get through this. And and he began asking them, or they began to ask him, do what you've always done, release somebody. And Pilate must have been confident that the crowd would never choose Barabbas to be released. Right. He's thinking, all right, they're going to, you know, the crowd's going to the chief priest and all those knuckleheads. They, they want Jesus. But the crowd, they've seen him all week, too. Certainly they're going to let him go. But that's not what happens. Why? Right. His plan was simple. When they selected Jesus to be released, there would be nothing the Jewish council could do. Case settled. Right. He could preserve justice at the same time as have favor with the people. So he says in verse 9, what do you want me to do for do for do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? You know, and I think here he intentionally sought to snub their leaders in because in verse 10 it says he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Ooh, and so now he's getting ready to release Jesus back and um he recognized their motivation was all wrong. And unmoved by any opinion, he thinks, all right, Barabbas is staying in jail. Jesus is going free. But that's not how it happened, was it? In Matthew 27, um, to add to this all, in the middle of all that taking place, I don't know why Mark didn't record this, but very interestingly, Pilate's wife gets involved. So Matthew twenty seven nineteen says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Her fear, having manifested itself in a nightmare, prompted her to go to her husband with a very urgent warning, right? And Pilate was considering that concern, of course, as any loving husband would, right? The chief priests were moving throughout the multitude and things are getting rough now and she's saying, ooh, you better be careful here. And now he's really torn. You know, what do I do? And the hypocrites get the crowd so stirred up that they they want Barabbas released instead. And of course, you know how that starts to unfold. Pilate was really, I think, surprised by their response he thought i'm off the hook the government won't be responsible the the jews out of pure envy they want christ crucified 
<clears throat> so it all backfires, I guess you could say, on Pilate. But again, it's all God's divine plan. And the people say, just crucify him. This same crowd of people that hailed him on Monday at the, or Sunday at the triumphal entry are now hailing crucify him. And Pilate's natural response in verse 14, well, what evil has he done? Well, they didn't have any an answer. All they could do was come back yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So now you got a riot starting, Matthew tells us, mounting pressure on Pilate is, is now overwhelming. And, you know, I said, you remember I said how politically minded he was, and now his political career is on the line. So the Jews, it appears, this religious sect of hypocrites is starting to really control the scene. So Pilate uses a Jewish custom. Interesting, right? The Roman Pilate uses a Jewish custom to symbolize his reluctance to grant their request. Matthew 27 tells us that he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. So he declared his innocence. And now he tried to maintain his own innocence. So if you, does that make you clean? Right? You know, but the Jewish custom, you can see how that is, right? So I think when I was looking at that, I thought of how many traditions or customs do we get ourselves caught up in to uh, make us appear to be clean or right before God? What, what are some of those that we could, you know, as good Baptists here on Sunday morning, what are some things that would be kind of like that for us? What do you think? Does that make sense? What? Did we appear to be clean? Yeah, you know, no, little things that we might do. You know, like, I know I've sinned, you know, but to make myself right before God, I'm going to have some little custom that I might do. You know, the Jews obviously had this custom. It's spelled out in Deuteronomy 21, 1 through 9, where they could proclaim themselves innocent if they washed their hands and pro- proclaim, I'm innocent of this man's blood. But I think we do. We go through little things of our own from time to time that we think, okay, if I do this, I'll be okay with God. Superficial prayer. Okay. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, you know, because we're actually taught from little kids on, you know, to, well, you pray before the meal, you know, it's very superficial many times and um, certainly in the ones of forgiveness. Anything else? Pardon? Extra gift, there you go, yeah. Lord's Supper, really don't break your heart sometimes. Yeah, just the tradition we go through. Yeah, I, you know, when I look at things like this, I try and my my mind goes of how idiotic these people were, and you know, and then God just reels me back, you know, and like Tim, you're the same way, you know, and just yeah, from probably forgiveness, you know, for those of us that that are married, you know, between spouses, 
you know, that can be real superficial, you know. She'll burn dinner tonight if I don't, you know, <laughs> something like that, you know. Uh, I mean, really, right? I mean, so what What should it look like if that's the superficial way of doing it? What should it really look like? You know, what should Pilate have really done here? Or, you know, really, what should we do? What is the true form of all that? What is God really looking for? Honesty. I mean, what is there any particular passage of Scripture that jumps into your mind when you think about those things? Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Turn there. That's right where I was thinking. This is a great place to go when you find yourself desiring to repent but from conviction of the Holy Spirit and, um, and, you're, and you don't want to be superficial. Psalm 51, David, of course we know the scene here. This is after his sin with Bathsheba and He's deeply convicted now, having been um, having been uh, confronted by Nathan. And in verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And look at verse 4, Against you, You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then he he continues, right, in going into pouring out his heart before God. And and I love when he gets down to to verse 10 after, after just really pleading with God for forgiveness, he asked God in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Wow, right? And then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. That's the kind of heart that God's looking for when we are convicted of sin, you know, instead of, oh, Lord, please forgive me for that, I, you know, that, that kind of thing, or the superficial prayers of, you know, and then that will actually, when you cultivate that mindset, that will actually drive you to a deeper sense of seeking forgiveness from the humans that you perhaps have sinned against as well, Right? Does anybody else have a favorite one they like to go to? I got one other. It's um, in Psalm 63. In verse 1 of Psalm 63, David writes, um, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. If you can get there, you're in a good state of mind, right? And verse 3, because of your steadfast, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David is seeing God's goodness in his life, his steadfast love as better than life itself, as more important than the air that he breathes. And, you know, when you can get yourself to that point, you're not going to be full of envy and spite and, um, 
lies, you're going to be full of truthfulness in the way that God wants us all to live. So, well, we'll stop right there today um, and um, pick up next week. Does anybody have any closing comments?